tuning in. Welcome to a new episode of the Passion for Technology podcast by EBB Electronic. Welcome to the Passion for Technology podcast. The world of mobility is in the midst of a radical transformation, the likes of which has arguably not been seen since the introduction of the car. The trends of electrification, autonomous mobility, and the sharing economy mean entirely new mobility solutions are coming onto the market. As a result, it is not just the vehicles themselves that are changing, but also user behavior and business models. This applies not only to road traffic, but also the rail network as well as air and waterborne travel. We'll be talking about this and more with our guest today, Kasten Heinecke. Kasten is partner at McKinsey in Frankfurt and co-leader of the McKinsey Center for Future Mobility. Hi, Kasten. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining our show. Kasten, let's dive right into it. What is the McKinsey Center for Future Mobility and what do you do there? McKinsey Center for Future Mobility is our think tank on the mobility disruption. It means we have a group of 200 people globally that work on very little else except the future of mobility. And we work with our clients and our clients are automotive companies, insurance players, oil and gas companies, telco players, anybody really who's affected by the future of mobility. But then also startups in different areas, micro-mobility companies, e-bike companies, scooter companies, companies developing software for the autonomous driving vehicle, and so on and so forth. And we work with these clients on different challenges. We help them answer the question on how does the future of mobility affect my business model? And then we also work with startups and scale-ups on raising funds, making sure they're ready for the next fundraising round, and also support them in growing their business. That's quite the breadth of services and particular aspects that you cover, what fascinates you about mobility as a focus area? So I've always been one to work with products that I can physically touch and experience and that um, have a value proposition that you can actually experience and that everybody can experience. And what I like about mobility products per se and mobility as a subject area is I feel that we can make people's lives better by improving the way how people can get from A to B, either by making it cheaper, making it more convenient but also by making it greener and therefore not only helping individuals, but helping us as humanity, as a society in decarbonizing transport. And Kasten, since when have you been involved with mobility? So I think my first involvement with mobility professionally was when I started at McKinsey because I was doing automotive work. I was helping an automotive company grow their business in China. And that was still in the early days, if you will, of automotive companies going to China at large scale and building up their own production plants. And then I eventually shifted into doing not only automotive as mobility, but futuristic mobility and not only serving automotive clients, but also clients in many other industries. Super interesting. You know what? My personal career, when I was you know, half my age today, started within the automotive sector too. Kasten, the McKinsey Center for Future Mobility is based in Frankfurt. And Frankfurt is you know, one of Germany's predominant super urban areas. How do you personally move about the city in your day-to-day -day life? I use shared e-kick scooters, and that's something that covers 95% of my mobility needs. I use the occasional taxi for certain trips, but I don't have a car. And I used to be a car enthusiast. I used to have high-performance cars, but eventually decided that a car, at least one that you own, isn't necessarily the best way to spend your money. And it's also definitely not the best way how to get through a city, especially if it's only about transporting one human being and not a ton of stuff that you actually need a big car for that warrants driving around in an SUV or something bigger. 
Okay, wow, that, that's something that really warrants some thinking. Can you expand on that? Can you explain to me why we need a new future mobility? So I think mobility is working okayishly well. Historically, we've seen a direct relationship between an economy and a country getting richer and that country, that society having more cars per household. And this has worked to an extent. The car has given freedom to many people and has helped us prosper as a society in Germany, but also in many other countries. But now with cities being almost at a gridlock and with congestion being a major challenge and with emissions from transportation being a major challenge, this is something we need to address. And we cannot afford keeping this relationship alive. So we cannot afford that the number of cars per household grows in line with the income of a society of a country. So therefore, we need to find alternative solutions to fight congestion, fight emissions, and decarbonize transport. And these solutions can be anything from shared mobility, pooled mobility, going into micromobility, or maybe also consuming less mobility by choosing shorter trips rather than longer trips in some cases. What's your take on technologies that will be decisive in the development of new mobility solutions? So I think... Many technologies are very exciting here. Autonomous driving is, for me, the most important one. Once we are able to actually move autonomously through the city in vehicles that don't need a safety driver anymore, we can actually introduce a completely new type of vehicle to the city, a so-called pooled minibus or robo-shuttle shared AV, depending on how you want to call it, that is carrying around four people, five people in point-to-point -point connections stopping at your door, taking you to your destination, maybe picking up somebody in the process, maybe dropping off somebody else in the same process, basically giving you the convenience and freedom to move through your city without having to drive yourself at costs that are somewhere between the private vehicle and public transit, while at the same time consuming much less space, while at the same time being entirely emission-free because these vehicles would be electric. Another technology that is exciting in my mind is urban air mobility. So anything that flies and basically resembles a helicopter-like vehicle, but again, fully electric and therefore green, and therefore also noiseless, largely at least. I think that's a technology that can complement mobility. We can make use of the third dimension, and we can also enable new use cases of getting from A to B, getting from A to B more quickly and especially more reliably, not having to deal with traffic. And then last but not least, obviously electrification and hydrogenization are the big trends that will allow us to decarbonize public transit. I think these technologies have come a little further already compared to autonomous driving and compared to urban air mobility or advanced air mobility. But these are still core enablers of making mobility green, even though an electric vehicle solves the emissions challenge, but not the congestion challenge, because ultimately an electric vehicle consumes as much space as a conventional vehicle, and yes, has lower emissions, but definitely doesn't solve the congestion challenge. Kasten, electric motors now appear to have established themselves in road traffic. What's your view of electrification in other sectors that you already mentioned, aviation? What about ships? And can you also expand? I mean, I find the aviation part particularly exciting, but how about those areas or others that come to your mind? Yeah, happy to talk about that. So I think in aviation, We are seeing first applications of electric flight happen, especially on shorter distances and uh, lower loads. Something that is very exciting and that with improving battery density over the next couple of years is going to extend the payload of these vehicles, but then at the same time also the range. And that will get us to certain distances that can be flown electrically. I've also seen hydrogen planes being tested. So hydrogen is definitely another 
great idea to decarbonize flight. However, for the foreseeable future, there are no technologies really available that make long-distance flights with large planes possible without the use of conventional fuel. Synfuels are an option, but it will take a bit longer to decarbonize long-distance flight. When it comes to ships, I think hydrogen is the answer. We've seen some very successful pilots here, some good trials here, where hydrogen-powered vessels are, in some cases, even autonomous hydrogen-powered vessels are being tested. But we're also still sort of in the process of figuring this out. So I would say electrification on the road of on-road vehicles has come quite far already and is a question of execution. And for the other parts, if it flies, if it's driving on water, it's actually something that will take a bit longer. Thank you, Kirsten. That was probably the most comprehensive explanation and view of, how should I say, energy for electric vehicles or modern and future mobility solutions that I've heard so far. And you've also expanded on the autonomous vehicles that they underpin the concept of, you know, affordable shared mobility. What really just strikes me is, do you really think that it's realistic to assume that individuals won't have their own car in the future? So the short answer is yes. The slightly longer answer is it depends on where people live and what living conditions they live in. So for me, I'm married, no kids, live in, in Frankfurt, quite close to the city center. There is absolutely no need to have a private vehicle. A private vehicle costs between 800 and 1,000 euros a month. Obviously, the sky is the limit depending on what type of vehicle you drive. But if you really factor in all the ancillary costs when it comes to taxes, when it comes to the price you pay for the spot in your parking garage, and then also the insurance and everything else, that's a fairly high price you pay per month for a vehicle that you usually use fairly little. And if you can provide people that live in the city with an alternative to get from A to B with a similar convenience at similar speeds, with a similar freedom of movement like the car is providing, I am 100% sure that people will switch. Now, let me give you one other persona. My mom, she lives in a fairly rural area, a village with 6,000 people. The next larger city is 15 minutes away by car that has 150,000 people. Is she not going to have a car during her lifetime? I doubt it. Because in these circumstances, if you live in a rural area, it does make sense to take the car to go from where you live to, for example, the nearest city, because public transit might not be available to the extent possible and the car is giving you the freedom of movement. So in short, yes, I do believe a ton of people will actually ditch their cars and or at least use them much less and use alternative modes like shared autonomous vehicles. But in certain areas, in certain parts of the world, these same people will go electric and will still keep their cars, maybe using them less and complementing with other forms of mobility like bikes or scooters. Kirsten, now we've talked about ownership. We've talked about modes of propulsion. What about autonomous driving? What does autonomous driving mean for the big car manufacturers? So first and foremost, to me, it's a massive opportunity. Why? Because a car that is driving autonomously gives the user freedom. Imagine that your morning commute, if it were, say, 40 minutes every single morning, probably most of that stuck in dense traffic, you could actually make use of that time to do something that you like. And that something that you like could be anything. It could be your work emails in the morning. So this might actually count as work time. It could also be any kind of thing that you like to do during your free time. And if a company, an automotive company, an automotive manufacturer is able to provide this type of feature to a customer... It will likely have much higher loyalty, but it might even be able to charge the customer for this. And it might even be able to monetize per kilometer, per minute, 
whatever the model could be. Because there would be a willingness to pay, and we have tested that, provided that you can actually make use of your time again by working or doing other things. So to me, that's a massive potential. On the other hand, and we talked about shared autonomous driving before, it also has a downside. Imagine if a city now has 20%, 30%, maybe even 90% fewer vehicles. That for sure is a challenge. So therefore, the automotive manufacturers need to think how they can actually participate in this shared autonomous mobility by providing the vehicles, by offering the services themselves, or finding any other kind of business model that is attractive. In addition to the major, the established market players, there are also many startups that are developing new mobility solutions. Based on your experience, how sound is the foundation underpinning these innovative companies? You know, can you make broad statements or specific statements, whatever suits or makes more sense? So I think that the startups in the mobility space are actually driving the innovation. I think we wouldn't have electric vehicles if it weren't for a startup, which is not a startup anymore, a company like Tesla, right? Or maybe we would have electric vehicles, but they wouldn't be that far advanced as they are today. We probably wouldn't have a large discussion on shared autonomous vehicles if it weren't for startups as innovative as companies like Waymo or Cruise or Mobileye or many other companies that are doing this in China and in other geographies. And the same goes for micromobility. So would we have shared e-kick scooters at scale if it weren't for Tier, if it weren't for Lime, if it weren't for Voy and many of the other players in that market? And I can continue the list. The same goes for shared mobility in the sense of ride sharing. We have Uber, we have Bolt, we have Freenow, we have many others. And all of these companies, in my mind, are driving the innovation when it comes to the future of mobility. And the fact that I probably listed a couple of companies that everybody, where everybody has the app on the phone, is for me a sign that these companies are clearly being successful, that they're clearly being used, and that they serve a clear need and a clear purpose, and therefore will, in our mind at least, continue to exist. What does a startup need to look out for if it wants to succeed in the field of future mobility? So I think a clear value proposition that either isn't there today or is still sort of untapped or not properly tapped, that's one. Two, as always, a great team that is able to execute this. A great board that is helping that team make sure that they can deliver on this and have the right contacts. And then ultimately, as always, capital. Uh, which hasn't necessarily gotten easier over the last 12, 18 months. And so the standard ingredients for a great startup in the future of mobility are actually not different at all to the ingredients of a startup in any kind of other innovative field that we see out there. Makes sense. Kasten, future mobility is being discussed as a solution for inner city traffic in particular. How will cities need to change and what can they do to promote and support new forms of mobility? So today, most cities have in their modal mix about 50, 55, in some cases, 60% of traffic that is coming from personal vehicles, private cars, ultimately. If we want to change this and get to a world in which we only have 10%, 15% maybe, that means we need to redistribute a massive amount of vehicle miles traveled, of passenger miles traveled to other form factors and other modes of transport. And what we can do here is we can keep investing into public transit, we can improve public transit, that will help. We can keep and continue to build bike lanes and invest into micromobility infrastructure, get people out of their cars and onto scooters, onto e-bikes, and so on and so forth, and that will help as well. To me, the biggest lever to really make the future of mobility happen is, and reduce traffic, is shared autonomous vehicles. And this can take almost the remainder of what is missing. So in my mind, 90% of private vehicle traffic today could theoretically be put into shared autonomous vehicles. 
And this would be a complete shift of how cities are being used. It would be a complete shift of how people get from A to B. It would make cities greener. It would make mobility more affordable. It would make it more convenient and have many, many other benefits for the city and obviously then also for the citizens. And what needs to happen? We were discussing technology. So obviously we need the technology to be there. But at the same time, we also need the city or the politicians or whoever is making the decisions to have the guts to actually make unpopular decisions when it comes to using private vehicles. Ultimately, not necessarily banning private vehicles, but disincentivizing the use of private vehicles to the extent that the alternatives, i.e. the robo-shuttle, becomes not only the smart choice, but also the choice that everybody is making. Justin, you briefly touched on your mom's situation, you know, living in a fairly rural area. What's the situation for rural areas? Are they going to be part of this revolution or are they not going to change that much? So to an, to an extent, uh, let me pick up the situation of my mom again, right? So living in her uh, 6,000 people village, 15 minutes away by car from a city that has 150,000 inhabitants. Will there be a robo shuttle, a shared AV picking her up to go to that city? Probably not, right? Because the density of this area is simply not sufficient to make this an economically viable model not even with subsidies, right? What could happen, however, is, and what will happen and is already happening, is that the vehicles that the citizens in these areas own will be electrified, right? Because most of the people that live in rural areas, they also tend to live a bit more in houses rather than in apartments. So therefore, they have a better chance to actually charge the vehicle at home. And it does make a ton of sense for them to go electric. That's one. Then also, by the way, the convenience is higher because gas stations in rural areas are typically further away, so you don't have to drive to a gas station, you can actually charge at home. Convenience gate. What might happen in my mom's situation is that the city that she goes to frequently would actually also go and ban or at least restrict the use of individual vehicles. So while she might then take her vehicle, her electric vehicle, hopefully, to that city, she might not be able to take it into the city, but would then switch into a shared robo-shuttle. So in my mind, what is going to happen in the countryside is mobility is going to change 5%, 10% or so, while in larger cities it might change dramatically. But people will still benefit from it whenever they go into the large urban areas, into the large urban centers that they have close to their areas where they live. We talked about the large established market participants. We also talked about startups. We talked about you know, propulsion technologies and energy providers. How important is it for the various actors and providers to work together? Do you see that happening? So I saw a great example earlier this week of a micromobility company working together very closely with the local public transit authority in that city. And from this pilot that they did together, there were massive benefits. Usership increased both for the scooter companies and at the same time also for the public transit authority. Usage of private vehicles decreased and then also congestion during that time decreased. Many other benefits. So in my mind, this is an example of local focused collaborations between different types of players that can actually make a massive difference. And in my mind, we need to see these types of collaborations happen more frequently. So for example, if we talk about shared AVs, this will need to be a collaboration between the city, between a tech company. It will probably take the public transit authority to be involved. And it might also take other stakeholders that need to be involved here in order to make this happen. And these are always the very specific local coalitions that will need to happen in order for the future of mobility to work properly. You know, Kirsten, since you mentioned air travel or air taxis in the broadest sense, each and every time I hear about those, my mind gets stuck up on those. So stepping back a little, a lot of things relating to the future, to future mobility appear to resemble science fiction. I've, I've been a great science fiction fan all, all my life. 
how realistic are new concepts such as you know autonomous air taxis or hyperloop connections? So autonomous air taxis for me is something that is going to happen eventually. Maybe not autonomous in the sense that there is no human involved in the entire process, but to the extent that there is somebody who is supervising what the system is doing from a remote location. So you might be sitting in your flying device, whatever shape and form that will be, all by your own or with somebody else, but definitely not with a pilot in the vehicle. And then somebody on the ground is making sure that everything is going well. And I do think this is, it might feel like science fiction, but this is something that is going to happen in the next 10, 12, maybe 15 years. Hyperloop, I think this is definitely a technology that does make sense for certain connections, for certain very specific connections where it does make sense that the infrastructure is being built up. A bit similar to rail connections, right? Rail connections do make sense for connections between cities, between areas where there is a lot of traffic so that it actually warrants putting in the infrastructure. And the same will also happen for Hyperloop. Will Hyperloop ever be as prominent as rail is today? Maybe not, but there are for sure applications where the Hyperloop makes a ton of sense. And would you say that you see any developments that you know, are very likely to lead to a dead end? So I think there are a few examples. Everything that is heavily infrastructure-based. So we've talked about autonomous vehicles with dedicated lanes. In my mind, that doesn't make any sense, right? The other piece is there's a good example in Germany on the A5, the German autobahn between um, Frankfurt and Darmstadt, where they have created a test piece where you can actually hook up the truck to an electric wiring system. And then the truck is being charged and is consuming electricity as it goes along. To me, that's a great concept for trains. But it's a concept that is definitely doomed to fail for trucks because you can simply not put this type of infrastructure on massive stretches of road. And then you would also have to have a very dedicated system in each of the trucks that is out there that can only be used on a very small amount of the road network. So that is one of the examples. So again, anything that is heavily infrastructure based and fulfills a niche use case is probably doomed to fail. So interesting that you bring that up. I just drove by that last week on the A5. And, you know, for the heck of it, I couldn't sort out what it was supposed to be. <laughs> so apparently it's that. Which developments and solutions will have the biggest impact on our mobility patterns in the future? So in my mind, the biggest impact is going to be had by autonomous driving, right? Because shared autonomous vehicles, pooled autonomous vehicles are simply going to revolutionize the way how we get from A to B in urban environments. They are going to make cars superfluous for most of the users. And they're also going to make happen that you can get from A to B more conveniently, more quickly in many ways, but then especially also more sustainably. And Kasten, what will future mobility mean for people and for personal mobility? Will mobility truly become more affordable, more readily available, and more convenient? So in my mind, for sure, especially for those who are living in urban areas and that have access to all of the new types of mobility. I'll give you an example how mobility has already become more convenient. Take the shared e-kick scooters, for example. For me, the way to the office in the morning with the shared e-kick scooter is five minutes. If I were to take a car, which I could because I have a parking spot at home, I have a parking spot at the office, it would take me 15 minutes because it's A, longer, and B, there is traffic. So simply by the fact that this vehicle is available and that there are shared e-kick scooters, every single morning I'm having a faster trip. I'm having a trip that is definitely cheaper. And I'm also having a trip that is more convenient because it's outside of my house. I don't need to do 15 minutes. So there is many, many benefits. And it's also greener because I'm not emitting anything as I go by scooter. Let's assume a global perspective. 
are the solutions that we're talking about, will they only benefit industrialized, highly technicized nations, or does future mobility also offer opportunities for poorer countries? So I think we've seen a lot of innovation in the future of mobility come not from the industrialized nations, but actually from other nations. So for example, shared taxis or ride pooling, yes, with drivers, but still is something that is very, very prominent in many countries in Southeast Asia, in many countries in Africa, and it's working super well. And it's also in many cases heavily digitized using the phone, right? Same as Africa was one of the first countries to actually have some kind of online banking system using the phone and using SMS banking. Right. So I think these countries are very innovative. On the same side, we're seeing lots of these new micro cars and smaller vehicles, but also lots of innovations in two and three wheelers come out of Southeast Asia, come out of India for the simple necessity that not everybody in these countries can afford a car. So while we do think that maybe we in Europe or we in the US are a bit more advanced when it comes to the future of mobility, it's actually not always the case because there are some solutions that are actually born out of Africa, South America, out of Southeast Asia that are actually superb and that would actually probably be helping us greatly if we were to implement them here. So Kirsten, our podcast series is called Passion for Technology. That means that, you know, I would very much love to know when and how you developed your individual passion for technology. So I was born in 1985, so I'm one of the first generations that sort of got exposed to computers at an age where you could start to comprehend it. And I still remember sort of obviously playing games very early on, but then also getting into computers and starting to mess with computers, rebuild them, try to reconfigure them and so on. And I think that was a bit when my interest and my passion for technology was born, trying to find a way how to make my life better by using computers and using the latest technology, the latest gadgets available with the limited budget of a student. Kesten, what was your first computer? So it was a 286, and I remember it had a hard drive of, I think, 40 megabytes. So I was continuously negotiating with my uncle on what games and what stuff we could actually put onto it because there was sufficient space or insufficient space. And this, these negotiations, I still have very vivid pictures of and very vivid memories of, and he still keeps reminding me almost every time we see each other. I very vividly remember those days. My first exposure was a 286 in school, and then I got a 486DX266. That was my pride and joy. <laughs> I can imagine that, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Karis. Thank you for the insights that you've shared with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Absolutely. So as always, dear listeners, you can find more info in our show notes. Please feel free to subscribe to our podcast, Passion for Technology, on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of the other popular podcasting platforms. So Kirsten, thanks once more. Thank you for joining us and thank you for the insights. It was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. 